0: One of the traumas, I think, of the pandemic is this, mask wearing. Now, I know it's necessary. I'm not an anti-masker. I wear a mask. Um, and it's a form of protection, <clears throat> excuse me, for yourself as well as for other people. And by now, it's kind of funny. We're just used to it, right? We might think it's no big deal. <clears throat> You're just used to wearing a mask. Uh, but when you think about it, Like, say you fell asleep in March, early March of 2020, and you just now woke up and you walked out into the world and you saw everybody wearing these things. Well, you'd probably freak out, right? Um, You would wonder what kind of dystopian universe that you entered into. Everybody's face is covered. Like, what's up with that? The universal language of the smile. and, it, you know, that travels across all cultures, doesn't it? Uh, well, that's just disappeared. You can't smile with this in front of you. The crinkly eyes, not enough, not enough. Now, our English word mask derives from the 1530s and middle French word mask, mosque, I don't know. I don't live in France in 1530s. Uh, and that was a covering Uh, which was designed to hide or guard the face. Now, the French word was derived from the Italian word maschera, um, from which, of course, we get mascara, which many of you use on a daily basis. Now, tellingly, uh, the word maschera okay, follow with me, this etymology, was derived from the medieval Latin word masca, which means a specter or a nightmare. Interesting, isn't it? Hence, we're back to our dystopian trauma of the mask. So let's transition from etymology lesson into preaching. The irony, of course, of wearing actual masks is that we all, we all wear all kinds of masks, don't we? All the time, pre-pandemic, without having to strap that on our mouths and our chins and our noses. I mean, no one I know, including myself, doesn't present some kind of false self, um, like a, a mask you would wear in a, in a masquerade um, in certain situations. Or at least no one I know doesn't hide the actual self from other people. Usually some kind of shame is involved, isn't it? We're shamed for others to see us as we are. Social media is the obvious milieu for the curated self, another way to say it. Um, but, but masks are everywhere. It, it, they weren't invented by social media. Um, it's interesting, we were seated recently at a, at a table at a wedding reception Next, a woman that we didn't know. And you know how these things go. You make polite conversation. You try to make connections about where you went to school, all that stuff. Um, and about 15 minutes into the meal, uh, she looked at me and Christy and said, I'm sorry. You know, weddings bring out all kinds of insecurities in me. And that's why I did all that name dropping earlier. Okay. <clears throat> Wow, you are a lovely woman. Who says that at a wedding reception or anywhere? Nobody. You know, for a moment, she dropped the mask, at least one of her masks. And as a result, we felt a real bond with this person that we had not known before the wedding. Now, dropping the mask is precisely what we do. We all do, whether we want to or not, or like it or not. When we walk into church, or we become, or we come into the presence of God, you know. Sadly, we tend in church to keep those masks up with with other people, um, but the masks do not work with God. Um, this is the God, remember, as we say in our service, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. That liturgical riff from. The liturgy is indebted, I think, to today's lessons. lesson from Hebrews, where we read, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Wow. All naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Now, when you have a bad dream or nightmare, think about those for a minute. What happens in that dream? And if mascot Means nightmare. Then the ripping off of masks is just a journey from the from the frying pan into the fire. Many nightmares involved the ripping off of masks, being exposed, um, naked in front of people, helpless, defenseless, laid bare. Uh, psychologists tell us that. That that nightmare means we're afraid or we're ashamed that we are hiding. What we are hiding will be exposed for all to see. Now, truth has a way of rising to the top, even when we try to mask it. The famous scene in Macbeth is the classic example, isn't it? Um, Guilty about her regicide of Duncan, Lady Macbeth uh, sleepwalks night after night after night. She gets up. She sleepwalks. She goes over. She obsessively washes her hands. She's trying to expiate the stain of murder from her hands over and over and over again. Yet, here's a spot, she says. Out, damn spot. Out, I say. And yet, even in her dreaming state as she rubs her hands over and over and over again, She partners with herself. She says, what what need we fear? Who knows it when none can call our power to account? Then she says, yet who would have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him? that's powerful. What need we fear? Who knows it when none can call our power to account? She says. Well, the Hebrews language uses that very uh, passage. Uses that very language, doesn't it? All naked, laid bare, to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. And even though we have not, may not have committed murder, there are still damned spots in our lives that we cannot rub out, or that all the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten as Lady Macbeth says. So here's where our Hebrews reading today becomes the tale of two cities. First, city is the law. We must render an account. But then we have the second city, the gospel. First, the accusation, and then the comfort. The author of Hebrews continues. He says, we have a great high priest Named Jesus, Jesus the Son of God, and he says, "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses." And he says, "Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need." That's the gospel. Say, the gospel is the one to whom we must render an account is the one who has already paid our account in full. The gospel is that the damned spots of blood on our guilty hands have already been washed clean by the blood of Christ. The gospel is that the mask we wear to present ourselves as better than we are have been switched out forever for the righteousness of Christ, in which we are eternally robed. You broke the bonds. You broke the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. Oh, I believe it. So it's no wonder then, that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. I'll close with an illustration. Theodore Parker Ferris was the rector of Trinity Church in Boston in the last century. And one evening, Ferris was having dinner with a, with a young man, and they were talking about the young man's father, who was known to be a very stern man. And the son said that he was, in, when he was in the army, he'd made a terrible mistake, a mistake uh, of which he was terribly shamed. He'd gotten into trouble and was given a dishonorable discharge. And he knew that he had done disgrace to his family. He'd been uh, ashamed to his father. And he was sure his father would be outraged. But he also felt like he had to tell his father what happened. And so he did. So I did, said the son to this minister. said this, I wired him and told him what happened. He sent a telegram back. The telegram has three sentences in it. I will stand by you no matter what happens. I will be there in the morning. Remember whose you are. Brothers and sisters, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness. That we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Amen.